coral snakes, copper heads, cotton mouths. Houston has them all. So, how much should we worry about being bitten by a venomous snake? Today, CityCast Houston producer Farrell Gibbs is talking with snake bite expert Dr. Spencer Green. He's the director of the annual Houston Venom Conference and director of toxicology at HCA Kingwood. And he's a big-time snake lover. It is Wednesday, June 8, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Dr. Green, thanks for coming on today. So how afraid of snakes should we be here in Houston? We found that nationally, there were only 3.4 deaths per year. And a lot of times it's people who didn't seek medical attention. And many of those victims were actually those who were handling snakes as part of their religious services. We don't have a whole lot of people like that in Houston. So you can imagine any one city is going to have a really, really, really low incidence of fatal bites. Um, we've had some really severe envenomations, no question about it, in Houston because we have a variety of snakes. But no, knock on wood, we haven't had a fatal bite in the 10 years I've been here. Well, I've always been terrified of snakes. Even living on a farm in Hempstead, I would see them around wood piles. Didn't know if it was a Western Diamondback or something else venomous that is native to Texas. But after talking to you, I, like what you just said, that there's only 3.4 deaths per year, I've gotten a whole lot less afraid of snakes. Should, should I be that? Is that a wrong way to be? Okay, so you shouldn't fear snakes. You should respect snakes. And I say that because, you know, a bite can be really serious. You know, people always want to use death as the only bad outcome. But the reality is any bite can be mild, moderate, severe, or fatal. And a lot of the moderate and severe bites can result in long-term or even permanent disability. So you should respect snakes and, and realize that a bite is not a good thing. But you shouldn't fear them because it's not like they're coming after you. You know, they're not members of a rival gang who are taking a hit out on you. As long as you don't put yourself in a dangerous situation, you should be fine. Most bites are the result of unintentional interaction. Okay, well, what are the best ways to avoid unintentional interaction? You have to be smart. You have to avoid stepping in places where you can't see, you know, where you're stepping. You have to avoid sticking your hands in places you can't see. You have to wear the appropriate footwear. You have to know where the snakes are and be careful. For example, if you're on Galveston, the dunes have a lot of Western Diamondback rattlesnakes. If you're in Surfside, same thing. You know, if you go to Sam Houston Forest, there's a lot of snakes. So you wouldn't walk around that forest barefoot. And obviously, if you see a snake, don't grab it. You know, I've had three people this year who intentionally grabbed snakes for a variety of reasons. And not surprisingly, they got bit. So what are some specific cases around here of people getting bit? Is it in their gardens, in their shrubs? Is it in their garages? I'll tell you, I've had, what, six bites in the last two weeks. I can tell you what happened with each of them. All right. One, it was a classic story. She was walking her dog. She walked into a place where she didn't see a snake. She walked right by the snake, you know, stepped on her new snake and it bit her on the foot. She was wearing Crocs. We had someone else who was clearing brush and he stuck his hand in a bush and he got bit by a copperhead. Then we had someone who actually saw two copperheads mating and he chose to grab them because he wanted to capture them and sell them. We had another person who was at home with her family member said, hey, there's a snake back here. Can you get rid of it? And because the victim was unafraid of snakes, but also not very adept at identifying snakes, she grabbed the copperhead, got bit on the hand before she threw it over the fence. Earlier in the year, they were almost exclusively people who were just walking in the dark, wearing you know flip-flops or, or barefoot, and they just stepped on or near the snake. Uh, and it can be in all places. I haven't had any bites in a house this year. 
But in the past, we've had a few bites in the house because people unintentionally or inadvertently brought a snake in the house. They're like a snake in a box that they brought in from the garage. Uh, one time, a kid was playing hide and seek, and he went under his parents' bed, and there was a snake under there, uh, unbeknownst to everybody. But usually, it's the result of dumb decision-making or just bad luck. Well, like I said earlier, it seems like, statistically speaking, Houstonians shouldn't be so afraid of snakes. But hearing stories like you just told, those stories do seem extremely terrifying. Houstonians should not be afraid of snakes. You know, hell, where I live, I've lived here for eight years. I have never seen a venomous snake anywhere near where I live. I live in the loop. They just, we don't have a whole lot of venomous snakes here. I saw this funny bit by a comedian named Nate Bargatze. He travels to Honduras to do a show. And when he gets there, they tell him there's lots of venomous snakes there. And if he happens to get bitten, the best thing he can do is to catch the snake and then take the snake down to the hospital with him. He was like, now, if you get bit by a snake, the best thing to do is then just go ahead and catch the snake and bring it so then we know like what snake bit you. I was like, I'm not gonna do it. I was like, that doesn't make sense. I've never caught a snake in my life. And then when I get bit for the first time, I gotta get it together and catch a snake. I was like, it's not gonna go good, man. I was like, he's gonna keep biting me. That's all that's gonna happen. Do you recommend that if somebody gets bitten? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, we just this just went viral on social media. We never, ever, ever want you to bring in the snake dead or alive. Okay. So if you bring in a live snake, obviously that's you know dangerous to everyone and, and you know potentially to the snake because someone may want to kill the snake. Don't bring in a dead snake either. First of all, I don't want you killing the snake. But if, if the snake's dead, I don't want you bringing it in because two reasons. Number one, I don't want to know that you kill the snake. But more importantly, and this, this is really important, dead snakes can still envenomate. You know, they have low metabolic rates. They have, you know, reflexes that remain intact. And while the average is like 30 to 45 minutes, there are cases of people being bitten and envenomated by decapitated snakes eight hours after the, the lethal injury. That is amazing and terrifying. There was a guy who almost died in Corpus Christi a few years ago, and that made a lot of headlines. And Another story, which did not make a lot of headlines, a guy actually died after being bitten by a decapitated prairie rattlesnake. And then there's another case report of someone who had a severe envenomation from a copperhead that was decapitated. So we don't want you to bring in a dead snake because it's not safe. And here's the thing. We don't need to see the snake in Texas. Or really, in the United States, you have four types of native venomous snakes, if you will. You have copperheads, cottonmouths, rattlesnakes, and you have coral snakes. Collectively, copperheads, cottonmouths, and rattlesnakes are pit vipers or crotalids. And the clinical features are the same. The treatment is the same. We don't have to know the species. All we have to do is make the clinical diagnosis of pit viper envenomation. What's the difference? Coral snake envenomations look nothing like pit viper bites. So coral snakes, they don't have a lot of swelling. They don't have bruising. They don't have, you know, hematologic lab abnormalities. What they have is really, really painful paresthesias, like you're getting tased, and they may have varying degrees of objective weakness. Like in Texas, we may see some things involving the, the ears, eyes, nose, throat, but we don't really see skeletal muscle paralysis or respiratory muscle paralysis, which is why nobody has ever died from a Texas coral snake bite. People tell you how dangerous they are. BS. No one has ever died from a Texas coral snake bite. And there's only been one death in the last 50 or so years from an eastern coral snake bite. And that was a drunk guy in 2006 who did not seek medical attention. So anyone who knows anything about snakes can easily distinguish a coral snake envenomation from a pit viper envenomation. We don't need to know the species. Is there anything else we should do? 
in this day and age, everyone has a phone with a camera. If you can quickly and safely take a picture, that's great, especially if we can immediately identify it as a non-venomous snake. You come in with a bite from non-venomous snake, you go home right away. I do nothing for you. You know, if your tetanus shot isn't up to date, maybe I'll update your tetanus because that's a good thing to do. That said, no one has ever gotten tetanus from a snake bite in the Western hemisphere. Now, all that's the official response. Unofficially, if I'm consulting as opposed to working in the emergency moments, I love when people bring in live snakes. I love it. I love it. I love it because I play with snakes, <laughs> but nobody else likes it. And it is potentially dangerous. I get that. And it's potentially dangerous for the snake. So the official answer is don't bring in the snake dead or alive. Unofficially, bring in a live snake for me to play with. I'm, I'm okay <laughs> with that. But only if I'm consulting. If I'm working a shift, then I find it distracting. Okay. Recently, I've been watching a Western called 1883. And in it, a guy gets bitten by a rattlesnake on the leg. If you're out on the trail and have no medicine for that, I'm sure that it's a death sentence. But in the scene, I noticed that one of the hired hands was down on his hands and knees sucking the venom out of the victim's leg. So how about that? Do you recommend sucking the poison out? Absolutely not. In fact, I'm wearing the first generation Houston Venom Conference t-shirts. And let's see if you can see what it says in the back. What is that? That says snake bite experts do not cut and suck. (laughs) Here's the thing. You will not effectively remove any venom whatsoever. And cutting into a bite introduces a potential infection to something that otherwise probably wouldn't get infected. And if you were to actually suck up the venom, which you couldn't anyway, if you could and you had a lesion in your mouth, you could potentially introduce that venom into your bloodstream through that lesion. And I'll be honest, the people who are most likely to attempt sucking and cutting are those who are likely to have mouth lesions. No, it does nothing. (laughs) Amputation does nothing except for leaves you with a permanent disability. All these things that have been recommended for pre-hospital care are useless at best and often dangerous. The best thing you can do if you get bitten by a snake is to get to the hospital for evaluation. So any hospital, the closest hospital in the area would be equipped enough to take care of you? In the past, we always said, go to the closest hospital, get stabilized, and then get transferred to definitive care. Well, guess what? Transfers are next to impossible. My hospital has been on closure to transfers with few exceptions for most of 2022. You are not getting transferred. If you need definitive care, you need to go directly to definitive care. And honestly, a lot of hospitals are not going to provide great snake bite management. Sometimes it makes more sense to drive an hour and get treated within an hour of arrival, which means two hours after the bite, than to go to the closest hospital where you get there in five minutes. And then for the next 24 hours, you're not going to get treated. It's a reality that in Texas, a lot of places are not going to manage bites correctly. And it's sickening. And I think the numbers are going down with the more education we do, you know, the more publicity we have for the conference, the more education we do online, on television, radio. You know, we're trying to teach doctors, but we're not there yet. Most of my colleagues are not skilled in managing snake bites. So if I get bitten, what do I do? If you're having any serious, you know, symptoms, trouble breathing, lightheadedness, dizziness, chest pain, go to the closest hospital. Otherwise, it may make more sense to get someone to drive you to the right hospital. And obviously, you know, for me, it's HCA Kingwood. In the Houston area, I recommend HCA Kingwood. There's no other hospital that has the expertise or the numbers that we do. Okay, so you mentioned the Houston Venom Conference. It happened just this past weekend. Are you the creator of this conference, the director? That this, this is my professional baby. Yeah. I moved to Texas in 2012 and I've been practicing in Houston and I was, for lack of a better word, disgusted by how poorly snake bites were managed by the physicians and other healthcare professionals in my area, including people I worked with. Texas has a rich history of surgeons managing snake bites surgically, and that is a big no-no. Conversely, there was this almost institutional fear of antivenom. And I realized from the lowest level of new healthcare provider all the way up to seasoned physician, 
people just didn't know about snake bites. So I created this conference. The first year, I think we had like 30 or 40 attendees and it was free. I said, just come on down, you know, this weekend, we're going to talk about snake bites. And it has grown tremendously over the years. Well, that's fantastic to hear. And uh, I wish you all the best. Keep up the good work. Hopefully this is the only time I will ever see you on a professional level. Seriously, thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. That was Dr. Spencer Green of HCA Kingwood talking with producer Farrell Gibbs. And now lead producer Dina Kesba has got some of the news going around Houston. Dina, what's happening? Hey, y'all, before I jump into any other news that's happening around the city, I just want to correct something I said last Friday during our news roundup when I was talking about the janitors who are fighting for higher pay. I mentioned that they weren't in a union, but actually they are. All right. Now for other news from around the city. If you've been around town, specifically the plaza outside the Minimate Park, you probably noticed something is missing. Well, the banner that commemorates the 2017 World Series Championship has, poof, disappeared. And come on, that's huge, because among all the club's accomplishments, that 2017 title means the most. It looks as though someone just kind of ripped that banner off. The Astros said that they're looking into the matter, and the team hasn't really released any sort of surveillance tape as to what exactly happened, so it's unclear really what happened other than the fact that that banner is just not there anymore, at least for now. That's it for our show today. If y'all know anybody from Boise, Idaho, who likes CityCast Houston, well, let them know they're in luck because now there is a CityCast Boise. And in their very first podcast, they go into the fact that if you actually live in Boise, you pronounce the name of the city. Boise. You can find it, CityCast Boise, wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. That's so stupid. They call that dad jokes. I'm not even a dad. So that's, that's just stupid.